0: Well, we're back, Bill. Um, we're we are. we're three or four deep, uh, four deep into these interviews in this uh, fabulous pilot series we're doing in partnership series with Bowling Point, uh, shifting the employee experience. And as uh, listeners would know, we jump into an article you've written, mm-hmm. and they'll find it on our show notes. And, uh, and then we, we, you introduced us in the last you know, number of interviews and today to an interesting guest that can take the, uh, the
1: conversation deeper. Well, I'm excited about this conversation.
0: Yeah. The last few um, episodes, we've talked about some of the Globe and Mail articles you've written. Mm-hmm. This is actually from the Chronicle Herald. So yep. that's, uh, for, for listeners, that's uh, in, in Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is in Eastern Canada. And the, the article, the title the article is, Without Good Workforce Mental Health, employers have nothing mm. a pretty bold statement mm. tell me about the inspiration behind this
1: well what got me thinking is is that lots of organizations now compared to maybe 10 years ago are starting to have a conversation more about mental health And that's why I'm really excited about having a conversation with our guest in a few minutes when we bring her in on what's the evolution around uh, the the national Canadian standard and work that she's done and influence around senior leaders. But what I've kind of got concerned with is lots of people, and I'm not saying everybody, but lots of organizations might think that to help support mental health, I have an EAP program. Mm. Now we got it covered. Mm -hmm. Or we might do a little bit of training. Now we got it covered. And what I really want people to realize is that there's a dichotomy that people, and we talked about in another conversation about happy and sadness, but mm-hmm. the reality is is that mental health is different than mental illness. And for example, in the article I talk about, there's financial stress and there's loneliness, and we've heard one out of five Canadians have a mental health issue on any given day. And then we do, we you know we have people that are now spending time caretaking and not only their children, but now starting to take care of parents and elder care and et cetera. So if you start to go through all the different things, you know, 19% of the population has a problem with alcohol, you start to realize that lots of people are struggling with this concept of just being a human being. And what, I, what my belief system is is that, that we, you know, for employers to start to be paying attention more to the mental health charge of their workforce, because if employees are distracted or employees are down or employee, employees have issues where they don't feel then they, they're top the top of their game or like who they are mm-hmm. or feel comfortable with who they are, mm-hmm. that can impact their experience in the workplace. It can impact other people's experience. It can impact their engagement. It can influence the culture, et cetera. And, and I wanted to start to get that out. And then the root cause of all of this, I think, is is a big conversation, bigger than we're going to have, but what can employers start doing? Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things is starting to get senior leadership starting to buy into it.
0: Yeah, well, and, and that I thought that was interesting. It's just like it's that role of the senior leader mm-hmm. um, or senior leadership in an organization. And uh, and as you know, I mean, we, we offer leadership coaching through Vision Coaching mm-hmm. and, and some of the work you and I have mm-hmm. done together. So I'm particularly interested. It's like what – tell Tell them, like, you know, what is that role? And it's, and as you said, it's more than just saying we have an EAP program or we did a training. Um, and you asked three questions uh, of senior leadership. So... You know, what, for you, what's most important if a, someone listening to this is, is a senior leader in an organization mm. and they're, 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 this might be the first time they've thought about, you know, yeah, what is my role around you know, mental health and, and employees' well-being? But also, you know, how that helps contribute to our company being productive um, and there is a cost with, with ignoring it.
1: Yeah, I think the first thing is for employers that, that have senior leaders is start to get them aware of what this mental health conversation is. And start to educate them to what it really means, and and when we start to get in with our conversation with our guests, we start talking about. It, I'll ask some questions around the national standard. One mm. of the big parts, and I'm doing some work with the Canadian standards now, working on another standard. I'm being the, I'm the today I'm the chair for the national standard. We're doing in impairment, and I'm starting to realize the rigor behind these standards, but. They they start to give some direction, and one of the things I found fascinating is in that standard where it talked about the role of senior leaders, and it got me thinking. It's really really true if the senior leaders don't buy into this thing around mental health, and provide the leadership, and the role modeling, and the inspiration. So someone like a George Cope from Bell, Let's Talk, who was a CEO of a very large company, let people. He talked about his own story. He influenced Bell Let's Talk Day. He encourage people his organization spending time focused on you know not just talking about it but trying to have some impact and training their managers and getting people involved in this
0: and that's a great canadian story yes um bell and let's talk and and just their the real focus and i i would say it's uh, they've really branded themselves quite nicely
1: well i think what they have done is they've opened up that having these conversations is hard work mm-hmm. I think most people in the field, like myself, would agree that it is really good, but the let's talk has to be 365 days, not just one. And the person who can facilitate that, David, would be, in my opinion, and working with organizations, is getting senior leaders really aware. However, not just assuming, because lots of them have financial pressure on them, And and that kind of situation where they're trying to get people to get engaged in the conversations and... So how do we get senior leaders ready? That's really what I'm excited about this conversation, mm-hmm. is to get our guests point so, of view. So why don't you
0: Well let's bring let's bring yeah, our guest in. Yeah, so yeah. so you and you you suggested we bring in Sapna. Yeah, and um, so tell tell you know maybe a little bit about who Sapna is, and, and we'll get we'll get her uh, to introduce well, herself. Well,
1: yeah, I think Sapna's would be a friend, a professional colleague that I've spent time working with, and someone who's kinda of inspired me. I first met Sapna when she was working with the Mental Health Commission of Canada, and she's been very very involved. and in, She was actually on the technical committee for setting the national standard psychological health uh, health and safety standard and what which i which I'm, i'll clarify with Sapna but i believe it's probably the, one of the first of its kind in the world hmm. and as well as Sapna is also involved in doing some work globally and she'll have a point of view of how canada's doing and how the world globe's doing but she's also being involved a lot with organizations around how they're adapting to the standard and some of the growing pains and how to encourage and inspire organizations to get involved in paying more attention to psychological and safety. And I'll be particularly interested in her comments around leadership, senior leadership, the genesis of that role. So Sapna, welcome to our conversation. And for the guests out there, it'd be wonderful if you just take a few minutes and let them know a little bit about yourself and, and your point of views on this conversation. So we'll just jump into it.
2: Well, thank you, Dave and Bill, for having me here today. It's really a pleasure. Um, I'm Sapna Mahajan. And yes, uh, for the last 10 years, I've been with the Mental Health Commission of Canada and involved in various standards, including the psychological health and safety standard. And Bill, you are correct. it was, It is the first in the world standard of its kind. Uh, an in-depth review was done and it is the first of its kind in the world. And an international standard is actually in the process of being developed, which is largely Uh, based on a Canada standard along with some work that Britain's done. I'm currently on secondment with the Government of Canada with Treasury Board, where I head up a centre of expertise on mental health in the workplace uh, and linking it with other important people management pieces around diversity, inclusion, harassment, safety spaces and wellness. And that's really working across the federal government to advance mental health, which is like having many, many organizations uh, across you know the country. But my background is mostly in health. Uh, I have a master's in public health and I've worked internationally and in Canada, working in a variety of, of ways in, in health before moving more into this area of psychological health and safety.
0: Wow. So SAPNA, something strikes me as, you know, Canada being the first in the world to set a standard around psychological safety is what I'm, I'm hearing. That what that had a great role for us as, or, I mean, something to be proud of as a Canadian. What, you know, in your opinion, how is it that Canada took a lead and like maybe what was behind that?
2: Well, I find one thing that other countries and other jurisdictions are more impressed with than just being the first country to develop a standard. And as Bill said, and I'm glad he now finally understands what are rigorous processes to be a standard versus a guideline or other documents. But what people are more impressed about is how it happened. And I think that's what really sets Canada apart. It was actually funded by the government and the private sector. Hmm. And when it was launched, well, actually, on the technical committee, you had a balance of the private sector, public, NGOs. You had some mental health, but... It really included a variety of stakeholders that have a stake in the game. But when it was launched, which we've never seen before, we had the minister of labor on stage. We had the CEO of the biggest private company on stage. We had the chamber of commerce. We had all the kind of key stakeholders collectively saying, this is not, uh, this is something collectively that no matter what kind of organization you are, small, medium, large, private, public, unionized, non-unionized, this is something we can all stand behind because we have a responsibility in health and safety. This is simply looking at the definition of what health and safety is, but moving it from just physical focus to also psychological.
1: Now, Sap, now when you start to see the standard when it's been launched, and it was what, twenty thirteen, if my memory serves me correct? Was that correct? Or my Yes. Yeah. So twenty thirteen, it's out. We're out now seven years. You want to kind of give an high before we start drilling in on some of the key learnings because I, I'd like to stick with this for a minute. Is what, what do we know that's that's happening with the standard since it's gone in, and how are how is Canada organizations taking to it, and what are some of the lessons that have been learned about being the first standard? That's generally any observations you have.
2: Well, I think whenever you do something for the first time, one of the key things is, are you able to communicate what it is clearly to people? And I think at the beginning, one of the things that uh, we probably heard the most was apprehension and fear, Uh, because a standard is a big word. And many organizations, many stakeholder groups came forward saying, we don't need anything regulated we already have a lot of work people were scared they didn't know what this would look like it's the first in the world like we've seen with lots of first in the world policies you get a little bit of that apprehension i think what happened right away is a case study was launched where we followed 40 organizations for 3 years from every kind of sector and across the country to see how is the standard used And we started communicating better. And it's something that's really important when you talk about senior leadership is you've got to learn how to talk the language of business, organization, and senior leaders to what is valuable to them. And when people started realizing, one, this is not regulated. This is voluntary. This is not a set of rules. It's really a tool that any organization in the country can use to guide their efforts, to be a roadmap for how to address psychological health and safety in the first in the workplace, just like many organizations do on physical health and safety. And when we actually followed these organizations for three years and we saw that the standard works in every workplace, you can adapt it and be flexible and shape it. And it actually has a huge impact. It reduces short-term disability, long-term disability, EAP usage increases because people are seeking help. So I think, what I've seen over seven years, and I think it still remains, there's still some apprehension and fear from organizations who are just starting out, but many are seeing that they're Other organizations in their industry, they are using it. They're seeing the return on value. They're seeing that it's not just about rules and regulations, but it's actually a tool that's going to help their organizations address one of the biggest issues they're facing. Because no one can deny anymore in the country. I know about 10 years ago when I started this, I was knocking on doors just begging for people to hear me. And now there's no knocking on doors. We have to close doors because too many people are asking because this is an issue. It is the number one rising claim in Canada. And for most organizations, it accounts for about 30 to 50% of their disability claims. So people are looking for a tool. So it's actually meeting a need. It's flexible and adaptable, and it can work for any organizations. And now there's actual evidence saying it makes a difference.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, I play in this space a bit and I talk a bit around psychological health and safety to organizations. And one of the things I'm noticing is a kind of a neat integration is starting to happen. I wonder if you're starting to see this too, is where when the standard came out, I think it kind of landed in the world of HR or people in that genre first, even though it's grounded in a management system, which is an occupational health and safety management system, And I'm starting, and folks in the OHS world actually understand what a management system is. And there's lots of organizations don't have an ISO, the management system in Canada. A very small percentage do actually. But what I'm starting to realize is there's uh, more organizations are starting to pull. I was in um, Alberta speaking recently to a bunch of municipalities where OHS and HR are starting to work together closer to try to integrate the psychological health and safety management system with inside an OHS management system. that of are trying to create another system. And what I find fascinating, Sap, and it'll be interesting what, you, what you're finding in this is that now that people are, I feel we're, we're coming through another wave where people are starting to say, okay, yes, I get it. I know there's mental health issues. I know psychological safety is important. Okay, so now how do I know what's working? And I'm starting to see there's more focus on evidence and measurement. Any thoughts on that?
2: Well, I think it's interesting you bring the occupational health and safety in HR because I think there's been a bit of a tension, to be honest, across the country and various organizations of, like, who's accountable for this and where does it fall? And I think what's happening more and more as people are getting to know this topic and really knowing how to use the standard is that everybody has a responsibility, health and safety, occupational health and safety have a huge role in this, but so does human resources, so does senior leaders, so does wellness groups. And what I'm starting to notice is there's more clarity around the different roles. And depending on how the organization is structured, I know in government, many departments have now put occupational health and safety within HR. And so people have made shifts as this has made them rethink how do we really think of these functional areas? And so I'm not sure there's one right way or wrong way, but I think the acknowledgement that everyone has a role and some piece of the pie in accountability, even though there may be one person responsible to lead it and keep it going, um, it's more and more being acknowledged and recognized for the right that they all have a role and actually one can't do it on their own.
1: Yeah, I would agree. And I also think we're going to start to see over the next year there's going to be more uh, tools and roadmaps. For example, I know CAMH is come, going to be coming out with their, what they're going to call their playbook and pretty well, soon. And who's
0: who's CAMH?
1: Uh, CAMH is out of Toronto, the Canadian uh, what, mental Canadian health. Mental Health. Um, and do you know, I can't remember the full acronym. It's,
2: it's the Center of Addictions and Mental Health, and though they're based out of Toronto, they are quite national scope in their research and some of the work that they do.
1: Yeah, thanks. And, and so I know that they're, they're coming out with that. And I, myself, one of the sponsors for this podcast is WSPS out of Ontario, as well as the University of New Brunswick. Both of them are interested in this. And in fact, in the province of Ontario for the chief prevention officer, we're working on a three-year study to be looking at how the standard implementation into a group of organizations, providing them with a set of tools of, uh, of how we can actually start to capture... The evidence and one of the challenges being is, and I mean, Insapna said something really important. At any size, however, lots of the big organizations that have more infrastructure have been focusing on this. And we're one of my concerns of the 1.3 million businesses we have in Canada. Only 30% of the businesses have more than 100 employees. So there's lots of employee organizations that, if they want to benefit in this, they may not have the infrastructure. So there's going to be more emphasis. as We have these conversations to try to make this more accessible to people. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think so, Sapna, if we kind of pivot for a minute, you know, we know the standard's a nice conversation. And when I wrote this article about whether if, you, you know, whether if you don't have mental health, you don't have anything, and it wasn't trying to create a kind of a shock or an awe, but I, I think many times people think mental health They're thinking just mental illness. I'm curious if you have any reaction to that.
2: Yeah. And I I liked your point earlier. I mean, I think it's a good title, Bill, actually, because I think a lot of the challenges we're facing in the workplace fall into this big bucket of mental health. And you're right. Mental health is a broad spectrum and is different than mental illness. And the workplace has a responsibility and a role to promote and maintain, uh, flourish the mental health of its employees but also preventing that foreseeable injury, which can lead to mental illness. Could you, could you, and
0: yeah. Oh, sorry. I I cut you off. Um, no, I just think like for someone listening and isn't close to this topic as both of you are, could Sapna or, or Bill, um, could you make, help make that distinction, you know, mental health and mental illness? Like what are the nuances? Uh,
1: well, I mean, I'm happy to jump in back and forth and Sapna between the two of us. We'll have this figured out. But there's something that Sapna said I think is important to kind of peg this all together. Yeah. The standard, and again, it's nice that we're having this, we can clarify from it The purpose of the standard when people ask me why did they create it, it really is two purposes. One is to prevent mental injuries. Mm-hmm. And mental injuries like bullying and harassment and different things, and even preparing people for even people that are first responders to help them mitigate the risk for post-traumatic stress, mm-hmm. to help them have that infrastructure. Mm-hmm. As well on the other side, is, as Sapna said eloquently, is to flourish to promote mental health, so the people either with a mental illness in the workplace get the sport accommodations, return to work if they're having issues, those type of things, or to mitigate. So the first thing is the purpose of the standard. I think it's important to understand that. And then the difference between mental health and mental illness is, is that when I see patients on mental illness, they can go from a very low continuum all the way up to onto a high continuum where they're higher risk, right? And so the way I try to explain it to people in a very simple way is that most human beings understand, you know, if I said to them, what physical health, you know, you have to do exercise, diet, rest, relaxation to promote your physical health. Mm-hmm. And if I do that, I reduce my risk for chronic disease, like heart attack and stroke, and they go, yes. But even if I do that, I still could have heart attack and stroke, and they go, yes. See, the challenge is, is that lots of people, obesity is a big problem, so lots of people know about this thing about physical health and are still not doing it. The challenge is, is lots of people are starting to hear more about mental health, but they may not actually know what they can do in their own best interest to take care of their mental health. And what happens is all mental illnesses are not genetic. They can be epigenetic, they can be genetic, they can be basically psychosocial, it can be environmental, your conditions, it could be traumatic experiences, etc. What we're trying to get, educate people, David, and Sapney, jump in and see, what fill in where I missed, is that is mental health is very much like physical health. It can be, oh, you know, it can be, goes, goes from flourishing, like super physically fit, mm-hmm. to languishing, where I'm kind of down blue. Mm-hmm. Right now, those affect and those emotions between that continuum, and then we start using mental illness, then we're starting to get into the, what's called the DSM-5, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual Mental yeah, Disorder, and yeah. okay. into clinical. Okay. Sapna.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was just going to answer, Dave, you said at the beginning, you know, how, how do you explain this? Is this new to people? And I'm going to use a really simple analogy, and it may be too black and white. But in a workplace... We, for example, don't put holes in the ground, right? You walk into a boardroom and if there was a hole in the ground, nobody would go in that room because there's a risk that you could fall and break your leg. And we have hard hats and and boots so that people, the workplace does everything they can as best as they can to prevent injury. It doesn't mean someone won't fall down the stairs and hurt themselves because people do that. And it doesn't mean someone won't fall off their computer chair or hurt themselves at a construction site. But they try to put everything in place as much as they can to prevent foreseeable physical injury and kind of promote well-being of people. So you have stand-up desks and healthy food and those things, right? Uh, At the same time, if somebody does break their leg, maybe even at home, maybe in the workplace. The workplace has things that accommodate you. We have elevators. We have accessibility. Sometimes we'll find another job, maybe if it's a construction worker, so that they can still work, but they can't do what they used to do. And so that really simple analogy of bringing it to psychological health and safety is what can the workplace do to try to prevent people from being psychologically injured at the workplace? It might be better training for employers. It might be how you... um, for all employees, but it might be how you uh, hire your managers, Mm -hmm. the kind of training they have, maybe the consequences if there is harassment and bullying. Your health and safety committees, they usually look at the hazards in your workplace, you know, if there's wires. What about those psychosocial hazards, you know, workload? Um, And then if somebody, uh, let's say, does go off on leave because they have depression, when they're off, Do we have the right connections with them? And when they come back, are they a ghost in the hallway or are they celebrated? Do we bring them back and make them feel good? And that's where, that's the role of the Mm -hmm. workplace in all of this. Mm -hmm. And when you compare it to someone with a broken leg or that kind of physical piece, people completely understand what the workplace's role is. I think this sometimes is a little bit more nebulous to people, but it's the same idea of what can the workplace control to really promote people's mental health and well-being. And if they aren't well, are people equipped to do the right things? Do they point them in the right direction and do we accommodate and bring them back in a positive way?
0: Okay. That's a, yeah, yeah, that's very helpful. Um, and, and and in previous interviews, bill, you've you've actually um, you know made that kind of um, that parallel discussion around you know your physical health, like if you're mm-hmm. if you hurt your leg. La- and and I think people can get that. So that's mm-hmm. very that's really helpful. so So let's imagine um, for a second, i'm 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 guessing there's some senior leaders listening to this right now who would who would be on, okay, yeah, this you know this is something I should be considering and should be concerned about um what what do you both feel are are some maybe simple steps i mean and i think you alluded to both have alluded to it a little bit but uh, that a senior leader can start taking to having to being more comfortable um having a conversation and maybe i'll start with you Sapna. um like you know what what you know like it's and again like you, that practical explanation of you know here's here's what mental illness and health is in a work environment, you know, if we think about it from the standpoint of having a hole in in the boardroom, um, you know, and now now I'm this leader who's recognizing this and I'm thinking, okay, how can I start being uh, a more supportive, um, focused leader on, on mental health and in the workplace?
2: So I think there's two things that I would start with that is even before they take action, it's important to communicate to senior leaders because I don't think they'll take action until they understand these two perspectives. One is that no matter what kind of organization you're part of, whether you're a senior leader in a hospital, a big private company, a five-person organization, a law firm, a school, looking at your mental health and making this a priority creates your competitive edge. Hmm. This will help not only your bottom line, but whatever you deal with. So I'm just going to use a hospital. A hospital in Toronto was working with us on psychological safety, and we did a bit of an assessment. They did an assessment, and they really did it because they wanted their healthcare staff to be present more. You know, less absenteeism makes sense, less sick leave. Mm -hmm. But when they actually started doing this, they realized, wow, patient safety has increased. Medical errors have gone down. Patient satisfaction has increased. And for a hospital, your bottom line is not money. It's about giving people the best care. Mm-hmm. being the best kind of hospital. And so no matter what industry we've looked at, we've seen that looking at mental health has actually helped what senior leaders need to deliver on with their stakeholders or their board, which is often bottom line competitiveness, um, kind of being a leader in the market, or in the case of something like hospitals is delivering a good service. So that's a really key point I think is important for senior leaders that this isn't a nice to have, this isn't something soft. This is how you're going to keep people in the workplace, which ties to my second point, which is more and more one of the areas I'm hearing a lot about is the future of work. And you mentioned it in the article, Bill, around machines and artificial intelligence won't replace all humans. But we're evolving as workplaces faster than we ever have, and machines and artificial intelligence will play a bigger role. The way we work is changing where we physically work and what teams are are all changing, this whole future of work discussion. And I really believe that in the future, what we are going to want more and more from people is less about those repetitive tasks. And it's going to be about people being creative. It's going to be about people's ability to multitask and do different skills. And so the greatest asset for organizations will be more and more people's minds, people's brains. And that is what's going to be the competitive edge for companies. And so for senior leaders, I think it's really important to, as we're all thinking about the future of work and reskilling, is how do we harness the greatest asset, which is going to be people's mental health, their brains, and how do we keep that uh, in the workplace?
1: And I agree 100% with you, Sapna, and I think what People that are in positions of power, when you start to look at creativity, so human beings are a finite resource. And I think what happens is we are not machines, and we do have a defined capacity, and we can't work if you start to look at, for example, in the new prime minister of, I believe it's Finland. I was reading the other day wants yeah. to move the co- whole country to a six-hour day, four yeah. days a week, because yeah. they want more people have more time for space and energy. And I think what I'm realizing, to build on your question, I, I, everything Sapna said, I agree. There's a competitive edge. You know, I'll do you know, my little company with Howard HR. When we do stuff, we'll go out to what's called the cost of doing nothing. We'll do an analysis to start the people understand the business competitive reason for doing it. And one of the things I'm finding from my experience is I often get, um, I'll do a talk or I'm out doing a keynote. And someone will come up to me and say, Bill, would you come speak to our senior leaders? I'll go, and I almost feel like I'm like the battering ram sometimes, the advocate. And I'll come <laughs> tell my story about, you know, I'm the kid that grew up here, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But I think what happens is it's that senior leaders need to, in my opinion, need to be able to not, everything that Sapna said, yes, but to get context. See, they start to really realize they get that context. And that's what Sapna says. There's a business context. But you wouldn't go too far as a senior person to find someone in your own life that's not being impacted by mental health. Mm -hmm. To get some empathy to start to realize this is a real, real issue. And this concept of being a human being is not as easy as people may think it is. And so getting the senior leaders to actually have context to realize and I you know very much looking at that new thing i was talking to greg earlier today when we were preparing for this who who was your real host yeah. while i'm the fake host <laughs> but is, is starting to look at you know the whole thing around triple p you know profit yeah. planet triple, bottom, p- line. Yeah. Tri- triple yeah. bottom line yeah triple bottom line the un's actually now doing a really cool piece of documentation saying that you know what for civility and for our world, the way we know it is we need to start focusing more on people versus this profit all the time. And that empathy and that creativity, because AI and machines, if you look at the Deloitte's research and KPMG, what's going to happen is it might take 25, 30 percent of some of the, the, the repetitive tasks and functions. It's going to create a whole bunch of new work that we haven't even thought about yet. And it's actually going to not limit the job market. It's actually going to create a need for a whole bunch more jobs in regards to the future. So there's all kinds of exciting things coming. But I agree with SAP. Now, at the core of all of this is how do we keep our folks and start spending more time on your mental health? Because we as a society have not made that a priority from primary if you go to the average person and say to them, hey, Dave, um, tell me, uh, what's your physical fitness plan? That, you might, you'd feel pretty comfortable to do that. Mm-hmm. What if I came up to you and say, Dave, what's your mental health, w- what's your mental health plan? Yeah,
0: yeah. Actually, you know what? Ironically, you know what I've, I've come to learn throughout the work, getting to know you and yeah. the work we've done? Is my, a big part of my mental health strategy is my, is my working out. <laughs> well you know, which but that was that was like a, like that like after years of working out at some point about maybe only four or five years ago i realized geez this is a big part of my mental health strategy well,
1: sapna would know this uh, stan sapna correct me if i'm wrong is yep. stan said the number one thing you can do for your physical health i uh, sorry your mental health is physical health is that correct Centered?
2: I think there's a lot of evidence has shown that to be. I don't know if it's for everybody, but yeah. it definitely is, and it's just because of how your body works physiologically.
0: Yeah. Well, no, I mean, and I'm just you know speaking from my personal experience, but yeah. I mean, the world can look different after you know 45 minutes of hard cardio, and the problems that I was going into versus what I come, you know, the solutions that come after. It's just it's amazing to me, and I I just feel a real gift that that was given to me for you know years and years ago. Um, so. What, what we, um, you know, here's what I really, I've, I'm really enjoying about this conversation is that, you know, this idea of tying back, you know, doing the right thing actually makes good business sense.
1: Yeah, I agree. So I, my question for you, Sapna too, besides the business sense is that when you have senior leaders give you this, yeah, 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 it's really important. Yeah, I got it, got it, got sure. It's really, really important to give the lip service. What have you found as some tactics or some approaches that help? Because I know some HR people would be looking. So how do I convince my senior leaders? Do you have any tips or tricks? Because, you know, you're very articulate and very comfortable and confident. I've seen you speak and you can influence. So just, do you have any coaching for people out there how to get their senior leaders on board if they're not quite there yet?
2: I hate that this is my answer, but it's what works. Is data, data, data. So... For, for most people who have challenges getting um, their senior leaders on board, the piece around empathy, obviously, Bill, is important. And if there's a personal shared story or lived experience, that often helps change mindsets and behaviors and gets the buy-in. But it's the data. So whether you're working with, I've worked a lot with colleges and universities, police, corrections, I always go to the lead and often you're right, it falls in human resources. And I say, what are the biggest issues your senior leaders are struggling with? And they'll know right off the bat, right? Whether it's people management or might be other issues. And you need to tie it to that and say, you know, did you know that 30% of your nurses are on sick time leave right now? And that means we're paying consultants this much more. Or did you know that, uh, You know, it's about finding out what are the issues that pertain to that organization, to those senior leaders, and you need to speak their language. Mm -hmm. What is the return on value for them? What is the stigma? And also, what's the benefit? So if and and I think we really have to be concrete because this conversation can get very I use the word nebulous before, but it can be. So you have to also not only build the business case, but give some really concrete items of what can be done and what are some of the things you will see. And that's why I said data, 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 data to build the business case, clear data on what you want to do. And then also in a year, we should see this and this and we'll check on that. So let's do this training that seems to be effective and will help our managers. And and I really believe from recruitment to retirement, this is something that needs to be embedded throughout an organization. It is not a separate initiative. So when you're recruiting and in some jobs you have physical, um, requirements, okay. Heavy lifting for long hours a day includes some psychological requirements. We started doing that at my last organization, um, You can include psychological requirements. And so as soon as you start hiring, people see that this is an important piece and you're having the conversation. And so you can really embed this in all that you do, that it becomes a way of working versus something on the side. But you need to give very practical, bite-sized pieces to senior leadership on what this means. Because I think if you just approach and say mental health and wellness is a good thing, it really needs to be clear-cut on what issue is it addressing that they care about, what specifically are they going to invest in, and what are some of the benefits they might see, and how are we going to measure and check in on it?
1: Yeah. So you see your, your advice is do your homework, do get yourself prepared, and I think also is to be you know modify your expectations i mean i was just reading a report from deloitte you know it's a small sample size it's seven they're suggesting you take up to 3 years before you start to get a return on an investment however mm-hmm. there is by doing the right things by being intentional over a period of time and why i like that is this is not going to change by next tuesday so give yourself a long time but there is no ending this this mm-hmm. is not there is not mm-hmm. like Check the box. We now have mm-hmm. mental health mm-hmm. solved. So mm-hmm. I, it's it's a journey.
0: Now One, I was gonna, and, and, and as we were wrapping this up, um, I, I also like that other piece about you know how would you be, how do we be accountable to this? So it's not an event, a training event, but I'm hearing SAP say like what you know how are we going to measure this after, right? Measurement. And I know in the coaching world we know how important that is, you yeah, know, because yeah. otherwise it just becomes that event. And and but let's say let's let's stand behind what we believe and, and let's measure after. So people listening are wondering. Uh, how do I learn more about Sapna and how do how do I connect with her and you know how could she point me to resources and that sort of thing? How do how do people um, get to know you better, Sapna and and, and um, you know can they can they get in touch with you?
2: Yes, anyone can uh, reach out to me. They can reach out to me through. Well, I just recently uh, got on Twitter, so they can reach hey, out. Welcome to, me. to Twitter. At, <laughs> thank you. I don't post that much. I'm just learning still, <laughs> uh, but well, I'm at Sapna underscore GC, and they can reach out to me there, but they can also reach out to me via email uh, at smahajan at mentalhealthcommission.ca. I mean, I'm happy to answer questions, point them to the right resources, but I think one of the most helpful things that I'm happy to do is connect them with others who may be in a similar situation or people who are farther down the road that can really help share their experiences and best practices.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, you know, this has been enlightening for me. Um, I really appreciate, Sapna, how uh, the clarity and conviction you have as you talk about this. Um, it, it, I can see why senior leaders would listen to you. Um, and,
1: Sapna's never uh, been shy about passion for this topic.
0: Yeah, she's, there's, yeah <laughs> clearly, clearly. And I can see why, you know, you've been having success and um, bringing together not just uh, government, but also, you know, corporate sector. Should we, re-
1: should we remind Sapna about what Bill's ask is that Bill wants to go to Australia? Do I need to <laughs> throw that out there? <laughs> tell, me, tell me about this, because
0: I, I, I'd be happy to, you know, to it's, join a running, it's a running joke between <laughs> Sapna
1: and Sapna is doing a lot of stuff internationally. And yeah. on my bucket list, I said, I got to go to Australia to speak. And Sapna is such a good friend. She goes, okay, I'm on it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so more on that follow, follow uh, uh, you, you'll you'll put that out on twitter i'm sure sapna oh it's funny
2: yes <laughs> thank awesome. you very much for having me it was mm-hmm. a great experience
1: all right we'll be in touch for lunch soon take care of yourself and thanks so much for doing this
0: thanks sapna
2: okay bye Bye. Take bye. care bye. so let's uh let's
0: do some takeaways um let's do it just uh you know like i guess can I also, if i may I'll I'll start you by are. saying um, I'm going ahead. I'm moving like Bill. He he'll, he's got to learn to be more gracious, like like you, Greg. <laughs> I'm looking at Greg
3: behind the board. Oh, here he comes. Okay, in. I'm coming in. <laughs> I I just love the, the the natural rapport between you two. It's it, Already throwing each other under the bus. It's great. Well, i was well, if that was going to change with this
0: new format. No, no, not no. Actually, Bill's being very kind to me. He he could, <laughs> he, could he could have me under bus a couple of times. Um, uh, Takeaway is. Um, for me, as just going, wow! There's this standard. Big topic. Totally, and finding out or learning today that we are Canada. I say we uh, is is the first in the world in helping yeah. set world standards. That is really cool. That number one takeaway, number two takeaway that helps me understand how this came to be, is is this you know very in, in, in very pra- how she is very practical and obviously she's. Um, it's beyond just doing the right like being the nice thing it's like right. saying let's do this we believe this let's find the evidence of this where's the data and let's measure this after and i mean like th- it's so compelling like you can't argue with
1: it well she's been there from the ground zero so the mental health commission of canada and the canadian standards association can actually did this in partnership and sapna's been a a big champion and she's also would be a very significant mentor to other countries mm. who are looking to this so this topic is she should be on a world international committee looking at psychological health and safety. And and what what I find fascinating about this conversation is is that we're just starting to grow into it. We're just this is really just very much early days. And the work if you were to take a canvas and look at it you know there's 1.3 million businesses but let's be very candid the standard they probably have a 40 50 60 000 downloads is one and so a lot of those are international maybe it's more from i might be outdated by mm-hmm. a month or two mm-hmm. but the reality is the conversation is just starting mm-hmm. so that when we have conversations like this mm-hmm. hopefully there's another 250 conversations like this happening and other things and mm-hmm. we just continue to iteratively let people know it's it doesn't have to be super complicated and we can start to get people involved in this and they can start having these conversations.
0: Do, um, you speak a lot on the topics. Yeah. Have you found there's a big, has there been an uptick in interest? Uh, has it always been there? Like where, where are things at right now in terms of your, you know, and you're your being, you're, your, you know, recognized internationally as, as, as an expert yeah. in, the, in the field. Yeah. What, what have you noticed the response? I'm thinking particularly from the business community.
1: I think it's more so much, not so much as following a technical standard now. I think people are starting to actually look, and we're using techn- technology-based solutions to be help facilitate how to impact employees' health in the workplace as well. It's starting to figure out what is the game plan? What is the roadmap? How do we actually do this versus thinking this is a very, really complicated thing? Mm. So it's like... So it's, you know, it's
0: not even like about, well, what is it? It's about, okay, we understand, but how? where and do we go
1: and we're starting to actually decide what are the stops so if you start thinking about when you recruit a human being to you know there's a selection process right mm. now you start thinking about the employee's life cycle and mm-hmm. the employee's experience and mm-hmm. start saying okay what are the things we need to do okay well we need to have employee supports okay and mm-hmm. then if we have return to work and then if we need to accommodate and then management training and then oh resiliency for employees and then and then and then and they start to realize and I'm some people say it's a roadmap. I actually think it's a roundabout. You actually have to know you have a big roundabout okay, yeah. and you start figuring out what are the stops we need to go to because not every organization is gonna go linear. Right. So we might say, Oh now we need management training. Okay, now we'll go roundabout, we need to do this. We I think what it is is folks start to are starting to try to figure out, okay, what are the building blocks we need to have mm-hmm. to be able to have a positive impact an employee's mental health and protect them from mental injuries. Very much like when Dr. Membusker we were doing one on him and respectful workplaces. That's concept around stopping bullies mm-hmm. is around protecting folks. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, man. So, um, one of the things you guys talked about was, uh, the, the continuum languishing to flourishing. Um, I think as a podcast host, you are flourishing, my friend.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, so what a beautiful compliment. I'm leaving you, okay, not throwing okay, you under okay. the bus. No, I'm no. not saying
1: this. am going to smile and be polite and I'd be very grateful for that wonderful comment. And I'm going to sign off on this. But well, thank you very much, Dave, and I'll land on a positive note. My self-esteem is just a little bit more in touch. Now.
0: <laughs> good, good. That was, that was, but a wonderful topic. Thanks to Sapna for, for joining us. Yeah, and, she's awesome. Uh, and great article that people can read in um, the show notes from from Dr. Bill Howitt, uh, without good workforce mental health, employers have nothing. Provocative. I love it. Um, looking forward to digging into this this topic more in future podcasts. And Greg is going to come on and give us... Um, no,
3: no, no, I'm not, Dave. Okay,
0: you can share this <laughs> and reshare it. And my notes are where my notes. You can, If you can download it wherever you get podcast iTunes what else great great work Dave
1: uh this is this is is a remedial section I'm I'm, I'm, I'm languishing in this
3: section (laughs) clearly okay the message is simple it's uh if you like this podcast please share it uh there's always uh, somebody out there that needs to hear the messages on Bullying Point episodes like this. So we appreciate you sharing it as well as subscribing to it on iTunes or on Stitcher or on Google Play. Anywhere you get your podcasts, please look up the Bullying Point. Podcast and thank you to our sponsors I, again. These sponsors totally. are incredible to help us yeah, make this partner yeah. series work. What about
1: rated? I th- what's oh, and that? rate. Oh, yes, yes Bill's Bill's okay. Bill, <laughs> do you want to ask
3: that, please, for us?
1: Something about rating, just yes. just mm-hmm. just rate it, just rate it. it. Yeah. That's it, highly. just rate it, just highly. rate it highly, highly, it's
3: highly <laughs> rated. <laughs> yeah,
0: and I'm going to work on my mental block around that. So that's for uh, for future coaching.
3: Thanks, guys. Thanks. thanks for listening to the special partnership edition of the Boiling Point podcast the podcast that we're calling Shifting the Employee Experience, which has been presented in partnership with the University of New Brunswick College of Extended Learning, and with our second partner, Workplace Safety and Prevention Services. So let me tell you a little bit about our two epic sponsors. The University of New Brunswick College of Extended Learning features the online high impact corporate leadership program. Workplace health, safety, wellness, and leadership are competencies that significantly impact a workforce. Strength in these areas are crucial for the success in a corporate environment. Build capacity with your entire team with specialized courses through the UNB online experience. For more information, visit go.umb.ca slash ICIP podcast. Our second partner for the podcast is Workplace Safety and Prevention Services. It's a not-for-profit organization committed to protecting workers and businesses. WSPS serves the manufacturing, agricultural, and service sectors in Ontario, supporting over 160,000 member firms and 4.1 million workers. WSPS offers unparalleled health and safety expertise, consulting, training, and resources. Their mandate includes helping businesses understand their risks and legal obligations to stay in compliance and build a better and safer workplace. You can find out more on their website at www.wsps.ca or by following them on Twitter at, at @wsps_news, underscore news, or by connecting on their LinkedIn company page by searching for workplace safety and prevention services. So thanks to those two sponsors for making this podcast a reality. We're really excited to connect with you next week.